morning. And this morning we are going to look at Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 16. And so now I'm going to read those verses for us. Uh, these are the pa- this is the passage that we're going to be studying together this morning. So Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 16, Paul says, when we, excuse me, Luke says, when we had parted from them and set sail, they were leaving the city of Ephesus, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. Have you ever talked with someone and they were telling you the route that they took on vacation? And like, you don't care. And they're like, well, we went, we went to the east of Amarillo, and then we went south, and then we went five miles east of Hereford, and I took 291 out of 684, and then three miles down, and then I took a little, I took the alternate business loop, because I didn't want that, you know, traffic there, and they're t- sometimes I feel like, but the, the beauty of what Luke is doing here is he's making how clear the truthfulness of this story, these are details that only an insider would know, and I think even what Luke is doing by recording these details is helping us realize this is a true story. It really happened. Luke was there. He actually remembers the route that they took. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we, again, the, Dr. Luke is using the word we because he was part of the, the company here, we departed and went on our journey And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. Caesarea is a really cool city. When Angie and I went to the Holy Land uh, a couple years ago, we actually got to go to this very, this very spot where Paul would have been, where these men would have been. And we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were there, excuse me, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him, Paul, not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Father, please use these words this morning to help us, to help us to be wiser, godlier, more Christ-like followers of Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me tell you the quick story of two young men who had missions, plans, and who received counsel and ended up doing very different things. We just read the story of the Apostle Paul, right? And he is planning to go to Jerusalem to do missions work. And several groups of his friends look at him and say, don't go, don't do it. People who loved him, people who walked with the Lord, people who heard from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit, who told Paul, don't go and do that thing. And Paul went ahead and did it. This morning, we're going to talk about the Lord's will, the Lord's will. And the main point is this, God gives confidence to do his will, even when it's sure to be difficult. But let me start with one young missionary man 
and he lived a couple of hundred years ago. And he was planning to go to the islands of the New Hebrides. And as he was preparing to go, he describes in his own memoirs, he describes an old one, he describes in this way, one old dear Christian gentleman whose argument was this, where you're going, there are cannibals. You will be eaten by cannibals. Some of you already know who I'm talking about. At last, this young missionary replied, Mr. Dixon, who was obviously the dear old Christian gentleman, Mr. Dixon, you are now advanced in years. Right? He's saying, you're an old guy. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave. This is a very respectful way of saying, you're old and you're going to die soon. You're old and you're going to die soon. There to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. This was the missionary John Patton, who went on to the New Hebrides, and um, men who had been cannibals were won to Christ and took of the body and the blood of Jesus figuratively through communion. So men who had been literal cannibals became followers of Jesus Christ and figuratively took part of the body and blood of Jesus Christ through the work that John Payton did because John Payton listened to the advice of wise old Christians who told him not to go, and he looked them in the eyes and said, no, I'm going to go. Well, there was another young Christian man who wanted to spend part of his college vacation serving alongside missionaries in the country of Africa. He prayed about it and desired to do this and had made plans and had spoken with missionaries and had made plans to go and do this. And upon receiving counsel and talking with his parents, his parents told him, no, we don't think you should go. And this young man, who was desirous to do missions work, heeded the counsel of his parents and didn't go. That young man was me. So here's one young man who looks, the, looks in the eyes of those advising him not to go, and he says, no, I'm going to go anyway. And then there's another young man, me, who looks in the eyes of his advisors, actually was on the phone, um, who speaks into the ears of his advisors and says, uh, and, and who tell him, no, don't go. And he says, okay, I'm not going to go. Who was right or who was wrong or how can you know? Well, I think we can get a window into this kind of decision-making in the will of God by looking and seeing what Paul, what's going on in the life of Paul here in this short passage. Now, there's a lot of things crammed in here, but one of the big obvious things is that good, godly, well-meaning people who walk with the Lord are saying to Paul, we've heard from the Lord about this. Look in verse 4. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And look in verse 11. Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind you when you go to Jerusalem. So Agabus and the Christians at Tyre and the Christians at Caesarea all love the Lord and they love Paul and they're saying, don't go, don't do it. And Paul says, stop crying. You're breaking my heart. I'm going to go. Well, let's walk through this passage and find out why Paul makes the choice that he makes here and maybe begin to understand some principles of how we can know what God has for us. First of all, let's look at the clear command that God gives to Paul. Paul isn't a man who's flying by the seat of his pants. Paul isn't a man who's just trying to do whatever's going to make him happy. And, and, uh, and, and he's you know, seeking his own advancement, his own uh, path and career. Look in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 and 23. You might remember this. We covered these uh, last week or the week before. It says this, And now behold, here's Paul talking, I am going to Jerusalem. I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. And constrained means controlled by the Spirit, informed and instructed by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, 
I'm going to go to Jerusalem. The Spirit of God is the one who's controlling me to do so. And I don't know what's going to happen to me there, except I do know what's going to happen to me there. I don't know in general terms, or I don't know specifically what's going to happen to me there, but I do know, verse 23, that the Spirit of God is telling me, is testifying to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. The Spirit of God is controlling me. The Spirit of God is directing me. I know where I'm supposed to go. I'm following the Lord. And one of the things that He's already made very clear to me is that it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard, and I'm going anyway. And as we study through this passage and others, it has already become abundantly clear the reason Paul feels this way. Look in verse 28. Excuse me, verse 24. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul has already come to a place where he realizes the most valuable, the greatest treasure, the most motivating thing in his heart, in his mind, and in his life is to be obedient to God. He, 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 um, you know, what's the old saying? I'd rather burn out than rust out. Paul, Paul's like, look, I, I'm going to die at some point. I'm invincible until God takes me home. I want to live my life radically and passionately in obedience to, to King Jesus. He is constrained, constrained and constrained. I'm having a hard time with these words this morning. Constrained and controlled by the Spirit of God. His will is not his own. His will is not his own. That kind of sounds like someone else who at one point said, not my will, but your will be done. You remember who said that? Jesus said it, right? In the garden. And brothers and sisters, as we grow in our understanding of who God is and what he's like, and as you grow, you know this to be true. Many of you know this already experientially to be true in your own life. As you have grown to know God and come to trust him, you are more and more willing to take those steps of obedient faith. I love, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen any of the Indiana Jones movies. But one of my favorite scenes is that scene where, like, his instructions talk about taking that step of faith. I, I, I don't, it's been, I mean, literally like 20 years since I've seen this movie. But, um, and it looks like there's nothing in front of him, right? And he has to step out. I don't want to spoil it. I hate to spoil the movie, but if you haven't seen it, that's your own fault. It's been out long enough now that I don't feel like I'm doing you any injustice by spoiling the movie, right? And, and from his perspective, he can't see that there is a path in front of him. And it looks like he's stepping out into a chasm, uh, you know, and he's going to die. But instead, he steps out and his foot finds sure foundation and he walks across in faith. And there are times where God calls us and we even know this, this financially, this, this decision doesn't make sense financially. This decision doesn't make sense given my health concerns. This decision doesn't make sense given how old I am or where I am in my career or the children that God has given me. But I sense that God is, is leading me and moving me to do this thing. Paul is constrained. God's command to Paul is clear, and he is constrained. And so God has, or Paul has heard clearly from God what he is to do, but now Paul begins to hear from his friends. Number two, we see the friends that Paul has, the friends' counsel to Paul. Point number two, is this, yeah, there we go. Point number one was God's command to Paul, and point number two are his friends' counsel to Paul. And we see in verse four, Paul has come to Tyre, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in a little while, but here are our disciples. They're followers of Jesus Christ. And surely, Paul, as he goes from city to city and town to town, and he, he's already been promised in chapter 20, he's already been told that, that imprisonment and afflictions await him. And surely, as Paul goes from town to town, one of the most comforting things to him is when he gets together with other Christians. And many of you know this experience. I hope you know the experience. I hope you know what it's like to sit down with other brothers and sisters in Christ and feel at home 
and feel safe and feel encouraged. And surely, all the suffering that Paul does when he sits down in the home of, with other believers, he finally feels safe and at home. And yet, even in that circumstance, he's got Christian brothers and sisters who are saying, Brother, we, we know where you're going. The Spirit of God has spoken to us. We know what lies ahead for you. And, and we, we, actually, we actually don't think that you should go and do what you are planning on doing. These were, these were Christian people. And the Spirit apparently had shown them what was in store for Paul. Paul leaves them. See, he says farewell to them in verse 6. Right There's this whole prayer meeting on the beach experience. And Paul says farewell and carries on, continues on the direction uh, to Jerusalem. And then he goes and, and he arrives at Caesarea, Caesarea Maritimes, a beautiful, just it, it was then and even is still to this day, a beautiful coastal uh, city there um, on the Mediterranean Sea, just absolutely uh, a gorgeous place. And, and he goes and he stays with Philip. Philip was one of the seven who had been chosen to serve. Uh, in Acts chapter 6, you remember the church chose seven men to serve the widows in the daily distribution. This is Philip. He's one of those men. And uh, here it talks about his four unmarried daughters who prophesied, and we really don't know much more about them than what's recorded for us here. We don't know if these young ladies are prophesying as well and saying, and saying Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And while they were staying there, this man Agabus shows up. And Agabus, actually, this isn't the first time he shows up in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11, verse uh, 27 through 28, Agabus is mentioned there as well. But here Agabus shows up, and he does something that to us may seem a little bit bizarre, right? Um, he comes uh, to Paul, and he took Paul's belt, which would have been a, like a long sash that would have been wrapped around his waist several times, not like our leather belts, but a, a more of a fabric sash. And Agabus binds his own hands and his own feet and says, Thus says the Holy Spirit. So he's a prophet. And he is speaking on behalf of the Holy Spirit to those that are gathered there. And he says, this is how, right? So he's saying, look at me, look at me, see how, see how I'm tied up here? This is how the man who owns this belt, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we, Luke and all the disciples and Philip and his daughters and Agabus, when we heard this, we, the people there, urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Agabus is doing something here that reminds us of what many of the prophets in the Old Testament did. He's, he's using an actual physical, literal object lesson. The, we love object lessons. We teach kids with object lessons. Most of us still enjoy a really good object lesson, and that's what, that's what Agabus is doing it, in 1 Kings chapter 11, Ahijah, the prophet Ahijah, tore his cloak into 12 different pieces to show how Solomon's kingdom would be divided according to the tribes. In Isaiah chapter 20, Isaiah the prophet went naked and barefoot to show how Assyria would lead Egypt away captive, naked and without shoes. In Ezekiel chapter 4, Ezekiel mimicked, using a model construction, he mimicked the siege against Jerusalem by setting up this mock city. So, so God's prophets in the past had done this sort of thing where they either used an object lesson or built a little model or literally acted out what was coming, and Agabus is doing that. And Paul and the Christians here would have known that's what the man of God was doing. They would have seen what Agabus is doing, and they would have realized he's doing what Old Testament prophets have done. And so... The, the Christians at Tyre, the Christians at Caesarea, based on the, the testimony of Agabus, are all saying the same thing. Now, think, think, about, think about what you would have said to Paul if you would have been there. We have the luxury of knowing how God is going to use Paul. But let's just say that the only thing you know is right up here through verse 11 and 12 in Acts chapter 21. And you had been there. And you're a Christian who loves God, and you are a Christian who loves Paul, and you are genuinely interested in making sure that the gospel continues to go forth into the known world powerfully, and you and I would think like this. 
Obviously, the Holy Spirit has spoken to the people in Tyre, and obviously the Holy Spirit has spoken to Agabus um, and, and given us this warning of what lies ahead for Paul. And we want the mission to go forward. And Paul is our MVP. Paul's, Paul's like the most important one of us. Don't tell him that because he'll get a big head. But, but we know that what Paul is doing is really, really important. And, and you know, when, when an army is going into battle, you don't take your general and send him out all by himself up into the front lines to fight the war by himself. We, you have foot soldiers and you have troops and you have teams and you send them out. But, but the general, he kind of stays back and, and directs the troops and inspires the troops. And, that, and so, so that's what we need to do with Paul. We need to, we need to tell him not to send somebody else. Because what Paul is doing, you may remember, and we'll talk about this more next week, Paul is taking an offering from the Jews that are from the, the, the believers, the Christians, Jews and Gentiles, that are scattered throughout Asia at that time. And he has collected an offering to bring to Jerusalem for the suffering Christians in Jerusalem. And so that's why Paul is going. And all someone has to say is just send someone else with the money. This is easy. This is not, and, and many of you are smart and wise and kind of type A decision making people. This would be an easy decision for you. No. We don't send Paul. We send somebody else. The money will get there. Paul can still continue to do his work throughout Asia. But if we know that Paul is walking into something that's going to be really harmful to him, let's not send him. And it even includes Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke, who's writing this, he's, he's traveling with Paul. Look in verse 12. When we heard this, so this includes the company of men that are traveling with Paul. When we heard this, when we saw the prophet of God, Agabus, enact this thing with the sash, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up. Paul, we don't think you should go. Please don't go to Jerusalem. Let's send someone else that's less necessary to the cause. And yet, Paul says in verse 13, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. So if you were Paul, what would you have done? Is Paul acting foolishly here? Or is Paul a man of incredible faith? There are actually, and there aren't very many, there's only one that I came across in my study, but there, there's a very, one very respected biblical pastor theologian who actually says Paul should have listened to the advice that he's been given here and he acted foolishly by not doing so. Well, why would that theologian say that? Well, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 20, verse 18, plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, should you wage war. So, so the book of Proverbs is full of advice to people saying, listen to the advice of other people. And many of us know how this works and what this is like, right? You see your younger siblings or you see your children and they start making a choice or they start doing something and you, you stop them, right? As parents, we know how this is. If it's not going to kill them, sometimes we'll say this. Hold on a second. Time out. I'm going to let you do this however you want to do it, but I'm telling you, there's a better way to do that. I want to encourage you to do it this way, right? And you can see your kid looking at you with that, like, I don't care what you say. Since you gave me the option, I'm going to do it my own way, right? Now, there are some times where you're like, no, you may not stick the knife in the electrical outlet, right? Like, no. There are times where that kind of advice, that kind of wisdom is imparted, and it needs to be imparted. But some of us also, right, we receive wisdom and input from other people, and often, we are blessed because we think, oh, man, I'm glad I have 
the crop advisor guy. Is there such a thing as a crop advisor? Okay, good. I'm looking at some of my farmers going, I, I, made, I just made that up. No. Right? And so you listen to the input and the wisdom of other people when you're making big, important decisions. And yet what Paul is doing here is something very different. So third, so we saw, um, what did we see? We saw God's command, and we saw friends, their, his friend's counsel. And number three, we see Paul's conviction. God's command, Paul's, or the friend's counsel. And now number three, Paul's conviction. Notice his response. What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready. I am, Paul has already, prior to all of this hubbub and emotionalism of his friends, Paul has already made up his mind as to what he's going to do because God has already spoken very clearly and directly to him. I am ready. Oh, I lost my place. Uh, I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die. I'm not. You're saying don't go to prison, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul, because you might be in prison there. And Paul's saying, I'm I'm past that. I've already come to terms with what will happen to me, and I know that at some point I will. I'm ready. I'm actually ready to die for this mission that I've been called to. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased. And said, let the will of the Lord be done. I love verse 15. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. I love that we in verse 15. Right? Because you can imagine Luke and the other men that are traveling with Paul. And they've done their best to dissuade him. And what has happened is Paul has said, boys, look. I've already come to terms with what's going to happen in Jerusalem or wherever, whether it happens in Jerusalem or somewhere else. I've already been told that it's going to be challenging for me and it's going to be difficult for me. I know this is where God wants me to go. Come on, let's go. And because of Paul's commitment to the mission, because the clarity of the vision in his mind, these men, Dr. Luke included, they get ready and go up with him to Jerusalem. And as Paul goes to Jerusalem, it seems like Luke is even, even painting it in such a way that he wants us to remember someone else's trip to Jerusalem. Remember when Jesus went to Jerusalem? There was a similar plot by the Jews to catch him. He was similarly handed over to the Gentiles. There was the prediction of his certain suffering. And yet, in his mind, there was a determination to go to Jerusalem and a willingness to trust the will of the, do- the Lord. Not my will, but yours be done. And as Luke is writing the description of Paul going to Jerusalem, we, are, we hear the echoes of our Savior going to Jerusalem as well. And so Jesus went with certainty and difficulty, and Paul is going with pro- the promise of certainty and difficulty. And brothers and sisters, just so we can understand kind of what's going on here, in, in verse 4, where the Christians at Tyre say, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem, our best understanding is this, that the Christians in Jerusalem, or excuse me, in Tyre, the Holy Spirit had spoken to them and shown them the suffering and the difficulty that lay ahead for Paul. And when the Spirit revealed that to them, their response was to say, so Paul, don't go. It wasn't that the Holy Spirit spoke to the brothers and sisters at Tyre and said, you make sure you tell Paul that I said not to go to Tyre, because he had already told Paul that he was supposed to go, or excuse me, to Jerusalem. He had already told Paul that he was supposed to go to Jerusalem. What the Christians at Tyre are realizing is this is going to be really hard for him. He's going to be persecuted, so let's make sure he doesn't go. The same thing here as the Spirit of God speaks to the prophet Agabus. It's not that the Spirit tells Agabus, make sure that Paul doesn't go to Jerusalem. He simply tells Agabus, this is what it's going to be like for Paul in Jerusalem. And Agabus relays that message. And when everyone hears that message, everyone responds the way you or I would respond with, no, don't go, please don't go. Brothers and sisters, that was the story for Jesus. That was the story for Paul. And as we look at Christian history, that's actually the story for many Christians 
throughout Christian history. I mentioned, I mentioned uh, John G. Patton at the beginning of our uh, sermon here this morning. There, there are a couple of other men that I want to mention here just real briefly. An English missionary named C.T. Studd. Some of you have heard of C.T. Studd. He was a wealthy Englishman. I mean, he, he must have been the man, right? Like, if, you're, if your name is Studd and you're wealthy, right? Like, I mean, come on. This guy's got everything going for him. C.T. Studd, a wealthy Englishman, came to faith in Christ as a wealthy Englishman with a really cool last name and, and began to sense that God was calling him to go to the country of China to tell people about Jesus. Now, how would you respond, you wealthy Americans? And when I say you, I mean all of us in here. If God begins to work in your child's heart as they realize there are people who don't know the good news of the gospel, and maybe I'm supposed to go, or maybe you in here are supposed to be one of the followers of Jesus in this way. Well, this has happened over and over and over throughout Christian history. And Studd's family actually called in a Christian minister for the purpose of discouraging their son to go to China, right? So CT says to mom and dad, I think I'm supposed to go to China to tell people about Jesus. And they are like, uh, okay. And, and CT walks out of the room and they start talking, um, let's, get, let's get the pastor from down the road to come in here and convince our son not to do this. This is going to be throwing his life away. He's got a great career here. He's got a great future here. He can love God and do a lot of good right here in this community. But let's make sure he doesn't leave the safety of home. Let's make sure he doesn't leave the wealth that's certain for him here. And so the family calls in this Christian minister, and CT said, okay, let's, in his words, let's ask God then. I don't want to be pig-headed and go out there of my own accord. I just want to do God's will. And after consulting God's plan, CT went to China, decided to go. Another name that you might be even more familiar with than C.T. Studd is the name Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot was told, he was told this, you are too gifted to go to the rainforest to try to reach the unreached Aka Indians. Now, for most of us, our pride is such that if somebody dumped that gasoline on our, on our pride and on our heart, on the fuel of our, the the pride of our heart, we'd be like, you know, you're probably right. The gifting that I have and the, the network that I have and the abilities that I have, I mean, they really kind of are better used here at home to, to motivate others to go to the mission field. Well, to the person that told Jim Elliott that he was too gifted to go to the rainforest, he replied like this, Consider the call from the throne above, go ye. And consider the call from the damned souls below, send Lazarus to my brothers that they may come not to this place. Motivated by these voices, I dare not stay home while these Indians perish. So what if the well-fed church in the homeland needs stirring? They have the scriptures, Moses, the prophets, and a whole lot more. Their condemnation is written on their bank books and in the dust on their Bible covers. American believers have sold their lives to the service of money, and God has his rightful way of dealing with them. Kind of a brash, smart alecky kind of kid, isn't he? And what happened to Jim Elliott? He went to the Aka Indians. He, you, many of you know the story well. If you haven't read the, the book, Through Gates of Splendor, I highly recommend the book, Through Gates of Splendor. Jim Elliott went, tried to make contact with these uh, Indians, and they killed him and four other men. And can't you just hear the people who told him not to go? Can't you just hear some of them saying, see, what a waste. Man, what a waste. 
We told him not to go. We told him that kind of thing was going to happen. Think of all the good he could have done had he stayed right here and just tried to encourage other people to go to the mission field. But instead, he went down there and wasted. The, uh, Jim Elliott was incredibly handsome, incredibly academically, theologically gifted, and incredibly physically gifted. He was an athlete. What a waste of all those things that God gave him. And yet those of us who know anything about modern missions know that God has used almost no one as powerfully in recent years as Jim Elliott to stir the hearts of other young men and women to go to the, hard, um, uh, to the, to the least reached peoples in the world. So what Paul is doing is not new or old. It's what God's people do when they receive a certain call from God to advance his kingdom. So, so we see that Paul does this, but you and I might read through this passage and go, okay, that's cool. Like Paul's one of those guys that God speaks to directly, and he had this very specific mission, and he went and did that. But like, how can I know what I'm supposed to do with my life? How do I know the will of God for me? Well, what are some lessons that we can learn from this passage and others? And this is the fourth and final point. And I do want us to take just a moment here as we consider how can you know God's will for your life? It seems easy in the Bible when God just speaks directly to someone and makes it clear to them, hey, I wanted you to go to this place, and since you're not going to go, I'm going to have a whale swallow you and re-deliver you on the shore, and then uh, I think you'll get the hint that you're supposed to go to Nineveh, right? That's pretty obvious direction from God as to what your life is supposed to look like and what you're supposed to do. But for me and you, sometimes it's not as obvious as a whale swallowing us and spitting us up on the beach somewhere else. Well, I think there are four questions that as you're considering God's will for your life, four questions that can be very, very helpful as you seek to know God's will for your life. And it can be questions like, who am I supposed to marry? Where am I supposed to live? How many children am I supposed to have? Am I supposed to buy a new piece of property? How am I supposed to invest my money? How many cattle am I supposed to... Like any kind of anything in your life that uh, any kind of decision that you're facing and you think, I'm really not exactly sure how to know God's will in this area. Because most of the time, it's just simply, what do I want to do? And if I have enough money, then I'll do it. I think there's some better ways for us to determine God's will for our lives. These are not original with me. I've read them in, these in many different books. There's an excellent little book by Dr. John MacArthur called... It might be called Knowing God's Will or Discerning God's Will. I forget the exact title of it, but um, uh, it's one of the first little books I read that put me um, in contact with these truths here, and I've read it in a number of other places since then. But So four questions that I think we can ask ourselves as we seek to determine God's will for, <clears throat> excuse me, God's will for ourselves, because we might think, I really think God wants me to do this. And remember our two young men as illustration at the very beginning of this story, or at the beginning of this sermon, one young man had people tell him, don't go on the mission field, and he said, no, I'm going to go. And me, who said, I want to go on the mission field, and my parents said, no, don't go, and I didn't go. Well, I actually think both of those men made wise and right choices based on how we're going to answer these following four questions. So question number one, if you're taking notes, question number one, and these are not original with me, these are good enough that I would encourage you to write these down somewhere. Write them in the cover of your Bible. Write them somewhere where you can come back to them to give them consideration again someday. Number one, do I have clear direction from God on this issue? And by clear direction from God, I literally mean from the Bible. Do I have clear direction from Scripture on this issue? If the Scripture speaks directly to it, then I already know what the decision is. Right? So if I'm trying to decide, should I steal from my neighbor, uh, I can't decide what God's will is for me there. Right? God has said, thou shalt not steal. Right? So there, that one's, that one, that one's answered for you. Um, if you're trying to make a business decision that you know will take advantage of the poor, 
And you think, well, but it's their own fault if they choose to spend their money this way. Hold on. The, the scriptures have made it clear that we are not to live our lives and do our business in such a way as to take advantage of the poor. The Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So when you're making a decision on whom to marry, a believer and a non-believer, the scripture has already... So the Bible, the Bible gives clear direction on, on a host of different things. So starting point, number one is, do I have, me, do I have clear direction from God on the issue? Does God command that I do this? If God commands that you do it, then you have to do it. There's no decision making left for you. Does God forbid that you do it? And once again, uh, that decision is made clearly for you. Am I free to decide? Hmm, uh, I want to go to college. Should I go to tech or should I go to state? What do you think? Some of you, I expected some of you just to answer the question based on where you went to school. Well, there are, there are some other decisions to be made there. There are, some other, uh, there are some other questions to ask in order to make a decision like that. So question number one, do I have clear direction from God on the issue? Question number two, am I currently walking with God? Am I currently walking with God? What I mean by that is I, I have talked to so many people who come to me for counsel or come to me for advice and they say, I really want to know what God's will is for me in, in this area, whether I should take this job or this job. And I, really, and, I, and I want to know God's will, whether I should take this job or this job. And as I begin to talk with that person, it becomes obvious and clear that already in their life, they are walking currently in disobedience to God. So let's say that they're walking in sexual impurity and unfaithfulness already, regularly, this habit of sin or this habit of maybe some, maybe kind of some sinful um, drug addiction or some kind of, you know, some other sin in their life that they already know they're being disobedient to God in. And yet they are really desperate to know God's will in this other area. Well, well the Bible actually makes it clear that, that God will not hear the prayer of those who hold sin in their heart. And so what you're doing is you're coming to God and saying, God, will you show me, will you please show me your will in this area that isn't clear in Scripture, but I'm going to keep disobeying you in this area that is clear in Scripture. And the Bible says God doesn't do that. God, God expects obedience in the area that's already abundantly clear. You obey. So, so one of the things is I'm helping people seek to determine to know the will of God for their life. If there's a big decision that they're making, one of the questions I'll ask them, I've even asked some of you in recent months, are you currently walking with the Lord to the best of your knowledge? Is there sin in your life that you're hiding? Is there sin that you're committing that, that you're unwilling to let go of? So number one, do I have clear direction from God on the issue? Number two, am I currently walking with God? Number three, and here's where we get to some of the truths that we'll see here in the scripture, the passage that we're looking at this morning. Do I value wise counsel? Do I value wise counsel? Uh, let me back up and say one more thing about number two. Am I walking with God? Someone who's walking with God is someone who is going to be seeking first the kingdom of God. Sometimes people will come with a decision, and you can tell one of them is very, very, it's, like, it's just selfish. Like, this promotes me. Someone who's walking with God is going to be wanting to promote first the kingdom of God. Okay, so that's number two. Number three, do I value wise counsel? And I already read some of the verses from the book of Proverbs on, on how a wise man receives wise counsel, a wise woman receives wise counsel. Do you value do you value input and do you humbly listen to it? Do you realize that your advisors, your friends, your pastor, your parents may actually know more than you do and may actually really care about the decision that you're going to make? Do you value wise counsel? Is it possible that your counselors could be wrong? Yes, it's possible. Seek counsel from someone who seeks clear direction from God and who 
is walking with God, right? So even make the counselors in your life people who are following points one and or questions one and two. Do you value wise counsel? And there have been a number of times in my life where God spared me from the foolishness of my own decision by listening to the wise counsel of others. And so even, even as a young man, um, as I was seeking to know uh, whether or not I should go on this missions trip, I remember times, and this being one of them, where I thought, my parents, I think, are wrong in the decision and their advice to me. But I'm going to go with their counsel anyway. And God saved my bacon. God rescued me from a stupid, foolish decision that I would have made for myself because I listened. And that's not only with my parents, but just many, many other times in life where thankfully I pick up a phone and I call one of you or I call a pastor friend of mine and say, hey, what do you think about this? And God uses wise counselors to speak truth in my life. And what those counselors are doing, though, is they're saying, what does God's word say about this? And, and, and are you walking in integrity before the Lord? And what, what will advance the kingdom of God uh, most? So, so do you value wise counsel? And then number three, or excuse me, number four, the last question, which may surprise you, is this. What do you want to do? Question number one you need to ask yourself, do I have clear direction from God? If I do then it's abundantly clear. If I'm not so sure, well then, secondly, am I walking with God? Am I seeking first His kingdom? Number three, have I received wise, do I value wise counsel? Have I, have I sought wise counsel from others? And then number four, if all of those things are answered positively and affirmatively, the fourth question is this, what do, what do I want to do? I could take this job or this job. Both of them are great. One puts me in this city, one puts me in this city. There's good churches in both of them. We would love, you know, living in, in I'd love living in either one of those cities. Um, God's word does not say thou shalt live in one of these, one or two, one of, one of either of these cities. I'm walking with the Lord to the best of my ability. I'm not hiding. I, yes, I continue to sin, but I ask for forgiveness. And I'm, I'm, I'm walking in genuine integrity before the Lord. I'm not hiding sin. I'm not covering over sin. I'm not holding on um, with, uh, with an unwillingness to repent before the Lord. So I'm walking in integrity before the Lord. I've received good counsel, and half of my advisors have said, it doesn't matter, pick a city. And a fourth of my advisors have said, live here. And a fourth of my advisors have said, live here. And I'm kind of left with, man, I'm not exactly sure where to live. Then the fourth question is this, what do you want to do? Oh, man, I, 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 like, I like this city better than that city. Then you know where you should live? In the city that you like better. Go for it. Those desires that you have in your heart, you can trust at this time, are the desires that the Lord has given you. You've, you've sought counsel from the Word of God. You're walking in integrity before Him. You've sought the wise counsel and input of other people. There's an old saying, and it's been attributed to a number of different things. I think I, a number of different authors. I think Augustine is the one that it actually was originally, uh, is originally attributed to. And he said this, Love God and do as you please. What, what he means by that, and that... That is an, an oversimplification of what I'm trying to communicate here. Love God. Love His Word. Pursue Him. Pursue wisdom the ways He has encouraged you to pursue Him. But love God and then do what you want to do. Do what He has put in your path for you to do. I think, brothers and sisters, that these four questions, that you can ask yourself these four questions as you're seeking to know God's will in your life. Lord, what do you want me to do here? Where should I put my kids in school? How should I um, conduct my business affairs? Should I buy this new ranch or not? H how should I take care? Where should I live? Who should I marry? How many kids should we have? On and on and on. To work through these four questions, I do think, gives you the ability to have now the confidence that Paul had when he heard advice that he knew wasn't what God had already clearly shown to him. And as he heard well-meaning people say, oh, I'm not sure you should. And he knew. He was confident. He knew, I know this is what I'm supposed to do and where I'm supposed to go. Because look again. In verse, chapter 20, verse 24, I do not count my life as of any value or precious to myself. If only I may finish the, my course, the ministry which I received 
from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, ultimately, all of us are seeking to do this. God had Paul doing it via a trip to Jerusalem. And God has us doing it right here in Dalhart. The, the reason these things matter is because the choices that you make will either advance the kingdom of God or limit your part in the advancement of the kingdom of God. You can trust that with certainty God's kingdom is going to advance and accomplish what it's going to accomplish. I want us to be in on it. I want you to be part of it. And so the reason we should care about how do we know the will of God and how can we pursue the will of God is because we want to be part of the advancing of the message of the gospel of King Jesus. And we do it in our homes and we do it in our, at the dairies and we do it in the feedlots and we do it in the classroom. We do, it, we do it in the hospitals. We do it in the United Grocery Store. Wherever God has put you, He's put you there so that you can be part of seeing the kingdom of God advanced. And you will do that by knowing and choosing the will of God. So, in conclusion, let me, let me tell you briefly, let me tell you what, what I absolutely know for sure is God's will for your life. If you came to me and said, Jeremy, I want to know God's will for my life. It is God's will that you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus as your Savior. I know that for a fact. God has said that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is God's will that you live in such a way that you show that he is preeminent, that he is number one. Colossians chapter one talks about how that God has created you and saved you and is sanctifying you so that you will show to the world that he's number one. So I know that it's God's will that you turn from your sin and trust in Christ as your Savior. I know that it is God's will that you live in such a way that people see your life and see that Jesus is number one. I know that it is God's will for your life that you help others become followers of him. Every single one of you, we call it discipleship. God has commanded that we make followers of other people. So I know for certain, for every single one of us, that those, at least those three things are God's will for your life. Have you done those things? Are you following him? Are you showing that he is number one and are you helping others follow him as well? Make sure that those are the first and foremost priorities and then, and then seek his will in all the other areas of your life. Paul was accomplishing all of those things by going on to Jerusalem. And so brothers and sisters, let's, let's be people who follow and walk uh, follow after uh, God by, um, by seeking His will and doing His will. As we conclude, I want us to conclude with a song. Okay, so take your hymnals and turn to number 682. Ms. Paula, if you would come to the piano. And this, 